you kind of turned heel on the fans. What happened there? Oh man, I don't remember. I think Matt Stryker brought me in, and and yeah, I was hanging out with Justin Gabriel, and uh, uh, I didn't turn on the fans. They turned on me. <laughs> and Matt Stryker gave me the mic and was like, "Hey, say WrestleMania in a special American Idol sort of way." And before the mic even touched my fingertips, I was getting booed. So oh I was just man, like, I was oh, just they like, turn on you then. I was just like, ah, WrestleMania. Woo. It's time. Are you ready? Let's go. Guess who's back? It's Johnny Cadillac. Let's start the show. Welcome to Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Cadillac, and I must say, as soon as I kind of start getting the ball rolling with today's interview, uh, man, I'm very honored to be able to come here and say that this week's guest is none other than James Durbin. James, how are we doing today? I am great. Never better. Too blessed to be stressed. Can't <laughs> complain. Could complain, but I won't. There you go. I love it. Um, now... Uh, from your your experience over the last you know thirteen years, and we'll talk about your story here in a second. Have is this your first time doing anything with the state of Nebraska? Um, mm, not that I know of. I think I think I've definitely definitely been to Nebraska. Definitely played in Nebraska. Oh, okay. Um, specifics of that I'd have to find. But right, uh, no, uh, I'm a uh, returning guest. All right. Well. I'm honored to have you on here. And for those of you who remember, those of you who don't want a reminder, James Durbin got his start, well, for what I would say, on American Idol Season 10 in 2011. And so for me, as a fan the, watching the show at that time, I, I, there's something about you I always liked anyway. I was like, oh, man, he's got a good voice. So I was pulling for you that season. And then it was revealed that you and another competitor, Paul McDonald, are wrestling fans. And then it was, it was all a change of, change of scope for me where I was supporting you anyway. Then I became an even bigger fan just for that one simple wrestling connection. And it led to an incredible moment for you, I'd say, just doing a video package. And um, I guess start behind the scenes kind of, I'm assuming, so were you and Paul just always kind of messing around wrestling-wise, like backstage and everything during that time? I think a lot of us guys during the season were all super into, like, I got everybody into wrestling, or at least piqued the uh, the wrestling interest back in people. Okay. Um, on day one of Hollywood Week, when I showed up to the hotel, I got in my hotel room early, and uh, and I made it, you know, I made myself at home and put up posters of uh from wwe magazine back then in 2011 and um and then my roommate comes in who ended up uh being my best man at my wedding and also finished i think eighth or seventh place on idol same season uh stefano uh, oh, okay. he came in and he's like what the what the hell is this what are these pictures of wrestlers and toys what what's what's going on in here who is this guy <laughs> and so and, uh, anyway we we continue and <clears throat> by the time uh just before the uh the Hogan surprise. Um, we were in the Idol Mansion. We had all moved into a, a big house together for TV, and um, and 
just this huge, huge living room. So I, it was my bright idea to put all of the couch cushions on the floor, grab all of the uh, cookie sheets and those sorts of things that don't hurt, but make a wonderful crack when you smack somebody over the face with it. And uh, the camera people just love that. So <laughs> they had me take a, you know, take a fake mic and, uh, and my whole thing is, uh, you know, I'm crazy James. And, uh, so I was think, I think I was playing off of the Miz and being like, I'm crazy James and I'm awesome. <laughs> and they had me, uh, they had me say a few liners calling out different people. Okay. And they, I believe they had me call out the rock. They had me call out John Cena. They had me call out Hulk Hogan. They had me call out somebody else. I can't remember. Maybe it was the Miz even. Um, and you know, hindsight, knowing now they were fishing for, you know, who they could get to come on idol to, uh, to, uh, you know, answer my call out. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, come time for the, it was Motown week. It was the results show. We were doing the top 10 results, which ended up being top 11 because they used their save on Mr. Casey Abrams. Um, great TV. Yeah. One of, one of the greatest nights of TV I've certainly ever experienced. And, uh, and Ryan Seacrest brings myself and Paul McDonald out to the center of the stage and said, you know, both you guys had a great performance. Both you guys did great, great showing with the fans, great showing with the judges. Um, but neither of you are safe. I mean, really not safe. And then Eye of the Tiger starts playing. The lights start flashing like crazy. I look behind me and the like elephant doors on the stage are like opening up like this. And the silhouette I see with the full on, you know, Hogan pose. But like, I thought it was someone dressed up as Hogan. That was uh, my immediate response. Okay. That was my immediate thought was like, there's no way this is the real Hulk Hogan. Um, I could have sworn I saw like a string go into a mustache and then the lights come on and it's just like, no, that's <laughs> actually Terry Balea, legit Terry Boulder, legit Sterling Golden. That's the immortal one. Hulk frickin' Hogan. And I just lost it. Like, oh, yeah. The footage back, my jaw literally hit the floor. <laughs> um, it fell off of its hinges and, uh, and it, it just blew my mind. Oh, and I, I just, I, I told you before we came on, on air here, I, I just watched that footage back today and had a smile on my face the whole time. Number one, when, when Ryan Seacrest said neither of you were safe, even before he said you're really not safe, did your heart sink a little bit at that moment? Well, both Paul and I knew that we were, that like we were just like, what did we do that wasn't safe? Like we both <laughs> killed it. We both why why would you know that doesn't even make sense. We didn't have the weakest performances of the night. We were just like, all right, what what are the producers doing to us now? Um, <laughs> sort of a thing you know what are they doing for the ratings what are they doing to uh, produce this tv show so um because at the end of the day you have to remember american idol like any other tv show they've got producers they've got directors they sway it they take it they do what they want with it so um and they want to make a great show so uh, they certainly did <laughs> they certainly <laughs> did yeah our hearts i mean they did sink but we were like and the catch is because like it was timed so perfectly oh like, absolutely both of you are not safe and we just kind of look around the crowd is like oh <gasps> and then he's like i mean really not safe <laughs> and then yeah the whole hogan thing the music dies down uh he's just like 
puts his hand on my shoulder, I'm just gasping for air. Like, this is not real <laughs> life. This is some sort of a simulation. And I'm just stuck. It's like I'm stuck in like a, a, like a glitch where I'm just like, ah, 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 ah. And then he puts his giant ham hock on my shoulder. And uh, he's like, let me tell you something, dudes. And I'm just like, oh, my God. This is like <laughs> all of my childhood dreams, you know, my action figures, my posters, my uh, DVDs, my VHSs, my autographed card collection, my vintage shirt collection, whatever I had growing up. And I was just obsessed. I had all the I backtracked and bought a bunch of old WWF magazines and and just I just loved it and consumed as much as I possibly could of wrestling. Um, so then like to have him there with his hand on my shoulder and like just looking at his muscles and like, that's the guy. That's the guy. And this is 2011 Hogan where like, you know, he could still like stand (laughs) his, his back kind of worked and he was still super tan and uh, you know, had a little bit of blonde in his, in his, uh, in his weave. So (laughs) it was, um, it was just nuts. And then he's like, actually both of you, are going on to the live rounds and both of you are going on tour, but it's you, Ryan Seacrest, <laughs> you're not safe. And then he just gives them the worst <laughs> loose working, you know, Linda McMahon, Snoop Dogg punch. Um, and, and Ryan just goes flying into the audience and they had placed different bodyguards um, in the front row to catch him. And one of them in particular, if you watch again closely, the one on the far left, um, his name is Aaron. He was Steven Tyler's bodyguard. And oh. Ryan fully tip of the elbowed him like oh, right, no. in the, right in the eye. And like 20 seconds later, he had this giant black eye. Oh. So, um, yeah, uh, someone someone did get hurt. Don't try this at home. <laughs> is the moral of the story. Absolutely. No, that's incredible because like <laughs> – I was just like, oh, the Ryan Seacrest oversell, and then in the process, there's damage done anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so you have that moment, Hogan on stage, you're safe, and then, you know, American Idol. <sighs> I mean, I especially at that moment, I was like, all right, James Durbin's got to win the whole thing now. Like, I, I was in full support, and nothing against Scotty McCreary, but I don't know. I was just like, the the because you ended in fourth place that season, mm-hmm. and uh, it was still. And then I remember Walmart was selling those uh, those EP albums of all the finalists. And full disclosure, James Durbin was the fir- first one I bought. I think I bought all of them, yeah. but I was like, "Oh, I only have so much money right now. This is the first one I'm going for." Nice, thank you. Yeah, that was super cool. I mean, all of us have been. Uh, still close all this time. It's like once you get to a certain point on a show like American Idol, especially when we were on it, because I know that a new season just started on ABC, but back when we were on Fox, the seasons lasted so much longer. They lasted like two times, maybe three times as long as they do now. Like they'll do three eliminations in one week these days when back then it was only one every week. Um, So... It was a completely different format, and we really got to know each other. The audience really got to know us. And so in that, it's like even though everyone around you is your competition, you're also rooting for each other. And because we, none of us were um, 
similar to one another. We had a right. really like differentiating cast. And uh, so it just became like a, a support team. And when somebody got eliminated, like it was emotional, man. Like we cried, like it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, we got to like real. celebrate them and take them to dinner. And every time someone got eliminated, we went and did this big family Italian dinner. And, and, uh, and, it, and that was just wonderful, but it was sad, you know, it was crazy to have that big experience and then for it to suddenly just, you know, be done. But it was, I, I loved it. It was fun. Now, I'd do it again. Did, did that season feel different? I think I read you'd, you'd, uh, you'd auditioned one other season, so I don't know how it was then. But what, did it feel any different because Simon Cal, without Simon Cal being there? Yeah. I mean, I had auditioned back when Simon was a judge, but I never made it to the judges' rounds. Okay. There's so many, at least back when I was uh, auditioning back then, there was a lot more like, um, pre preliminary audition rounds long before you ever saw the judges. So I probably had three, maybe four preliminary auditions before doing, uh, appearing in front of the judges. Um, I think these days it's maybe one, or maybe you just go straight to a judge's audition just because there's so many less people auditioning these days. Um, but it was like a different kind of fanfare because Simon Cowell had left the previous season, had like five judges, had <laughs> four judges. It was Randy Jackson, Simon Cowell, Ellen DeGeneres, and Cara Diaguardi. And Ellen, Cara, and Simon all left. And right. So, yeah, season 10 uh, was a big, big change with J-Lo coming in and Steven Tyler and different format. And, um, you know, you just never knew what Steven was going to say or do. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, but it was great. You know, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was great to be a part of that season, uh, in particular. And, um, yeah, just so many, so many memories. But, okay. And so where my, my wrestling fandom and my wrestling nerdiness comes in, um, and I, I talked to you about this a little bit on, on the Jericho cruise and we'll get there. But, um, around this time, I think you were presented with a couple different replica championship belts. Like, everything changed wrestling wise, even for you after that moment with Hogan, didn't it? Yeah. So the moment happened with Hogan. Um, I go, I mean, he ripped his shirt off and then between commercial breaks, I'm still losing my mind. (laughs) Ryan Seacrest comes over and hands me Hogan's, uh, torn shirt. Um, which is crazy. Smelled like ax body spray. (laughs) Like you wouldn't believe. And, uh, which matches the, uh, the, the tribal design on it. Um, and uh, the original tribal chief, Hulk Hogan. Um, <laughs> and so it was, uh, I sat there and tied it together so I could wear it and put it over my tux that I was wearing for that results show. And because um, we were all decked out in tuxedos and right. dresses and stuff. And so, yeah, I, I donned that. Hogan stayed afterwards. It was him and his son, Nick. And uh, they came in the back uh, in the dressing room area in the lounge and met with everybody and everybody was just losing their minds. It was just crazy. Cause like, even if you're not a wrestling fan, you know, of pro wrestling and you know, like he's like, you know, more recognizable than Jesus. Yeah. You know, there's one name. He actually is orange. Like Jesus (laughs) is not white, but Hogan really is orange. Um, (laughs) so like, he's like the Ronald McDonald. Um, (laughs) Uh, not of the Jericho cruise, but, right. um, <laughs> and, 
And so it was just crazy, like just sitting there, and, <coughs> excuse me, sitting there and talking with him. And, uh, and I think he gave me a Bible. I can't remember I, if he did. I don't have it, but oh um, no, I think he gave me something. He brought us a bunch of, a bunch of stuff or he said that they were going to bring us a bunch of stuff. And, um, like I got a signed book. Um, what else? Can't remember what else, but we sat there and talked and, and, uh, he gave me a heart to heart and gave me some good advice and, uh, you know, reminded me to keep a level head. Um, I think he, I don't know if he thought like my whole, like eat your heart out Hulk Hogan thing was like, for real, <laughs> I really <laughs> thought I was like that, you know, machismo, but, right. um, you know, he was like, you know, don't get cocky, brother. Don't get too, uh, <laughs> don't get too bullheaded, you know, don't, don't <laughs> write a check with your mouth that your ass can't catch or whatever. Um, so yeah, it was pretty crazy. Well, and, and so like when you were recording all those, those vignettes and those videos, I mean, I'm sure in the back of your mind, you were thinking, well, this might lead to something like there's a reason why they're asking me to, to cut all these promos, but it sounds like it really exceeded your expectations. Completely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they had us record all sorts of things that never, uh, that never saw the light. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. But what you were originally asking me was about <laughs> wrestling title belts. I just realized <laughs> oh, so the yep. next week, the very next week, somebody had, um, I forget what the company was, but they had sent me a WWE, um, championship, the spinner belt, um, like the most deluxe edition of it, uh, with crazy James on the, uh, on the, Oh, name. that's so even that's better. Pretty sweet. And then I've, it's hidden behind toys, but I've got the, <laughs> the old, uh, oval intercontinental title too. So, Oh, there you go. And then I think you said you like at your, your homecoming, then they gave you like a cheaper world title belt as well. Yeah, that was actually mine that I had already had. Oh, because um, <laughs> we were we were very low income before uh, doing Idol, and um, one of the things that my wife had uh, had gotten me was was one of the cheaper quality um, World Heavyweight Championship belts, the big gold. So I had that, and I was holding that one up, and the the WWE Championship, and was you know just the undisputed <laughs> champion of the day um, for a ticker tape uh, thirty thousand person. Uh, parade in my honor in my hometown, which was just crazy. I'm sure that still that experience, uh, just having that that parade for you in your hometown, though, was regardless if you had your own championship belt or not, was still like a surreal <laughs> experience in itself. But I did have my own championship. <laughs> <laughs> I did, and it was surreal. I don't even have to imagine not. <laughs> so okay, so I mean, and I just. You know, American Idol ends. I think the next season you came back and you uh, um, you performed higher than heaven on on one of the results nights. And I was like, oh, good to see you again. And then I immediately went and downloaded that song. And I still listen to it to this day, like fairly often. It's a good song. But nice. Thank you. Um, and uh, but then it's you're building more connections and you have more wrestling connections at this point than too, correct. Correct. Yeah. So when I was when I was on Idol, the day after Hogan came, um, uh, a little known uh, performer uh, who was also on Dancing with the Stars at that same time came over, uh, named Chris Jericho, and he just walked in the studio because they film in the same building. Yeah. Um, in separate studios in the same building, and so Jericho walks over and he's like, "Hey, Durbin," 
was like, hey, Chris Jericho, holy smokes. <laughs> I was like, I just met Hulk Hogan yesterday, and I'm not over that, but I actually, like, th- you're my favorite wrestler. Like, uh, this is crazy. I had, like, an action figure federation with, like, my figure, Crazy James, which I can see is right there. And then over here, I've got the Jericho action figure, and we were tag team champions. So oh. <laughs> um, we ended up becoming friends, and we ended up uh, spending a bunch of time together. He'd sneak me out of the Idol Hotel. I'd sneak out the back door, and he'd pick me up and whatever rental car he had, and we'd go to the Rainbow Bar and Grill out um, on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood and and uh, go to Fancy Schmancy Steakhouse and meet the Miz there and get bombarded with paparazzi and shared a dessert with Jericho, Miz, and Maurice. Um, oh. Which was just wild, and they're just talking, you know, tour stories and and all sorts of stuff. And I'm just sitting there in my Canadian tuxedo, just like, yeah, this is real. This is <laughs> this is so weird. It's so weird. So like, um, yeah, that was kind of like because Chris was still with WWE at that time. Yeah. Um, but between appearances, and so, um, I didn't end up even though Hogan was with TNA uh, at the time. Um, I ended up getting kind of an offer from WWE to be involved with their anti-bullying campaign, uh, Be A Star. Okay. And so um, I got to, I think there was something happening in LA while I was there just after Idol uh, doing promotion for my first album and um, got to go to one of the schools in LA and work an event with The Miz and with Sheamus and Eve Torres and uh, I forget who else. I think David Otunga was a part of that too. And and it was just like, this is crazy. I think Stephanie McMahon was there also. Okay. And so that was like my first one of those where I'm just like, all right, breathe, Durbin. Breathe. Just James, just breathe. Like, you're okay. Don't be a mark. <laughs> like, just be <laughs> respectful. Be kind. This is super awesome and weird and bonkers and dreams come true, but just relax. So that was super cool. And then uh eventually would get to go to uh uh to WrestleMania, which was just crazy. I got to go to WrestleMania 28. I can't remember which happened first, if it was Raw 1000 or WrestleMania 28, but we were on tour when Raw 1000 happened, and I think it was in St. Louis, and we just happened to be passing through St. Louis with a day off. So we got to go to Raw 1000 as guests of the WWE, sit second row ringside, hard cam right behind Brock Lesnar's Jimmy John's people, and then uh, right after they left, we were front row, uh, hard cam. We were backstage. We wore tuxedos, um, <laughs> as a as a rib, and uh, we were backstage eating raw one thousand cupcakes and uh, uh, using raw one thousand toilet paper and napkins, and uh, oh. hanging out in catering, and you know just seeing whoever, and then going out and watching the show, and and uh, I think it was like CM Punk and Cena and The Rock. And like it was just crazy. Oh, so I'm me sure. And my, was... Me and my best friend Dylan, we were uh, who was my guitar player then and is again now. Um, we were there front row with our suits and uh, <laughs> just watching punk, uh, uh, GTS, Cena, and then The Rock, and uh, it was just crazy. Yeah, and then WrestleMania 28 got to go to Access, got to fly out there 
again for be a star did a bunch of outreach programs um did one with ray mysterio which was super cool uh just uh, where i'd got my ray mysterio tattoo so that was rad and uh we take a picture and then he's like oh wait hold on let me <laughs> let me take this thing off he takes off his mask <laughs> and takes a picture oh there you like, go. i didn't ask for that all right i won't <laughs> post that he looks like pitbull um <laughs> he looks like thick pitbull but um yeah it was just crazy it's just crazy and then sitting third row ringside at wrestlemania behind the announcers for just all of that and the night before at uh at the hall of fame as chris jericho's guest was me him and his wife jessica and that was when he was in the feud with punk so on the other side oh, okay of yep. the uh of the aisle was punk lita and uh lars Fredrickson. So it was just, it was Man, crazy. It sounds that was crazy. crazy. That was, that was when edge went into the uh, hall of fame. Yep. So I'll put things in a little more perspective for you. Cause I know you, you said, I can't remember which happened first. Cause that was the first WrestleMania I ever ten- attended was WrestleMania 28 in Miami. Mm. And, um, and then raw 1000 was on my following birthday. Like okay. raw, it was on <laughs> nice. my birthday day itself. And so I, I can remember. And so my whole thing is, um, I think, we did the the travel package for WrestleMania that year, and I think there was it automatically included like two showings at WrestleMania Fan Access. Nice. And you were introduced by Justin Gabriel at the first Access showing I was at. And what was it? You uh, you kind of turned heel on the fans. What happened there? Oh man, I don't remember. I think Matt Stryker brought me in, and and yeah, I was hanging out with Justin Gabriel, and. Uh, uh, I didn't turn on the fans. They turned on me. <laughs> and Matt Stryker gave me the mic and was like, hey, say WrestleMania in a special American Idol sort of way. And before the mic even touched my fingertips, I was getting booed. So oh, I was just man. like, I was well, just like, turn on you then. I was just like, ah, WrestleMania. Woo. <laughs> like, <laughs> take it. And so I did get my redemption. There was, I can't remember if that was before or after um, they had like a WWE 2K tournament in the ring with the superstars playing the game and i believe it was justin gabriel versus uh daniel bryan brian danielson and uh uh daniel bryan at the time so for context justin gabriel (laughs) versus daniel bryan and uh and daniel uh or brian ended up giving brian ended up giving his remote getting frustrated giving his remote to aj lee and then Justin ended up giving his remote to me, and I pinned, uh, virtually pinned uh, AJ and Daniel um, <laughs> right in the middle of that ring with a one, two, three. So I hold a victory, eternal glory over Daniel Bryan and AJ. Well, and that's all that matters, right? <laughs> you got that's the, all that matters. You got I did the victory. That. I met the Fink. That, you know, <laughs> everything was fine. Met, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I got to stand with the champion of out, outthink the Fink and the Fink himself. And uh, so, like, when I think about it, so many people that, like, aren't either aren't with the company or just aren't, you know, with us anymore. Um, Matt Paul Bearer. Yeah. I mean, I like that weekend is just just a blur, but it's just crazy. I got to shake the Undertaker's hand. I got to shake Vince McMahon's hand. Um, uh, Paul Bearer, um, 
just hanging out backstage at access. Cause once you walk around for a little while, it's like, Oh, I just, you know, I could go backstage into the, the catering green room area where everybody was hanging out and everybody was entering. So like Mark Henry's son, Jacob was like seven. Um, <laughs> and we, we were playing video games back there. So I was getting my, getting my reps in before I had to go out. Go. Luckily I had just learned to play and uh, been schooled <laughs> by Jacob. So, uh, hanging out with Hornswoggle, Dylan, um, when he was a much younger man and, uh, and gosh, it was just crazy. It was just like such a, such a wild, wild ride. I think the very first match for context, the very first match at access that year was Tyler black versus Claudio Casagnoli. Yes. I mean, I just on last week's episode of this podcast, I just talked about, and for me it was, I didn't, I wasn't familiar with either one of them and we rooted for Claudio because mm. Tyler Black was from Iowa and being from <laughs> Nebraska, even though he was a baby face there, uh, where nope, we can't support Iowa here. <laughs> and uh, and so it was just incredible for me because I remember it was, it was an FCW match. They said the stars of right. tomorrow. And then years later, there was a, a SmackDown event in Lincoln, Nebraska, where it was Seth Rollins against Cesaro was the main event. And I said, OK, that's a bit of a full circle moment for me. And then years after that, they have a WrestleMania match against each other. So I never thought an FCW match being there for like my very first ever FCW anything yeah. would be that impactful <laughs> to me as it ended up being. I know. Yeah, it's, it's just a crazy, uh, it's a crazy way that life uh, can work <laughs> You know, to have been there and see that. It's just uh, something. Well, so obviously, I mean, anyone listening to the podcast up to this point, you're definitely a wrestling fan. It's something that's been around you. Like, let's hear more of, let's talk wrestling in your story. Um, just as a fan, where where did wrestling kind of get introduced to you? What what got you to be a fan? I think it was 2002, I believe, and it was. I think this match is on Rob Van Dam's DVD set, um, and it was. It was a Monday Night Raw. It was RVD and maybe Jeff Hardy in a ladder match. Okay. For the Intercontinental title, I believe. Um, I feel like that was the first like actual match that I remember um, taking in. I mean, I was bullied a lot growing up uh, for having big ears and a, a dead dad and a... Uh, <laughs> And uh, Tourette syndrome and, and high functioning autism and, and all sorts of, uh, you know, targets for uh, jerk kids. Yeah. And so <clears throat> it was, uh, I was, I was, I remember I came home just in a horrible mood and uh, go in my room, turn on the TV, just looking for something to change my mind. And, um, and I see wrestling and it's just, I see these guys that, like they got ponytails and tattoos and yin yangs and dragons and like armbands and like just whatever, <laughs> like these like superhero rock star stoners, like, whoa, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and there you go. Ta-da. That's how it works. Um, no. So like seeing that and, and it just, it just uh, captivated me and I was already a theater kid and a choir kid and, um, so I was already into like a weird, a little bit different stuff and Pokemon and right. Spider-Man and, and, you know, I loved superheroes and, and just anything that was fantasy or different. 
And so seeing wrestling was like, oh, this is like something that I can actually access. There's an audience full of people. They're, I'm sure they're going to come close to me, close to my town. And this is something that I'd actually be able to see. And then, you know, that was Monday Night Raw. And then seeing that there was like, whatever it was, Thursday Night Smackdown at the time. And then shortly after that, they reintroduced ECW, uh, the WWE version. But then like, this was also like the infancy of the internet. And also I had like, um, we had like a, a, like a movie rental store, like Hollywood Video or like right. Blockbuster. And so they had all of these WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, or, you know, even Road Rage. I remember, or not Road Rage, it was uh, Road, Wild. Road Wild. I remember renting, I remember renting Road Wild 99 that had like <laughs> Macho Man versus Dennis Rodman yep. in, a, in a street fight. And, um, and just like, I would just consume whatever wrestling I could find. I was just obsessed. I just wanted to see more and know more and learn more and, and, I would always, we had a flea market, so I'd go to the flea market and I'd um, save up my money and I'd go and patrol the lines and I had this this way that I did it and I'd go through all the lines and I'd seek out stuff and I'd find something, I'd kind of pinpoint it in my head or write down the space number and I'd still go around and then I'd go back and I'd, you know, make different offers. And I found all these wrestling action figures and, and trading cards and vintage magazines and all these things and like went home and read them. And when I was done reading them, I'd cut up, I'd cut them all up and make collages <laughs> and put them on my wall. And I'm like, ah, why did I make collages? But <laughs> I enjoyed it and I loved it. And like, what wasn't to love when you were a, you know, a, a budding teenager of like superheroes and like chairs being thrown in people's faces and, you know, um, divas and, and everything. It was just <laughs> like, whoa, this is, this is a one-stop shop for my mind to just boom so uh yeah i just became completely and utterly obsessed which i think partly has to do with the uh the autistic personality traits of like finding something and getting very um very obsessed with it because i've i've always had those kinds of uh, reactions with things whether it was pokemon or toy story um and then finding wrestling and finding music at the same time and finding like so many of like these guys that enter they enter to these like metal songs these rock songs or whatever and so like that was a way for me to also find bands like that's how I found Alter Bridge with Edge's entrance music okay and and um and so like I would get the CD I'd go to the CD store and and find the discounted you know music of the superstars uh WWE or WWF volume one, two, three, whatever. And like, that's what I would listen to. So I was like fully taking all of it in and uh, met a buddy that also liked wrestling. So I had one friend that liked wrestling <laughs> and then over time it turned into like three or four. And then we found another group that did and like integrated with that and doing watch along parties and, and everything and a little bit of backyard wrestling. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just uh a lifelong obsession starting at about the age of 12 or 13. So it kind of came into your life at the right point then. I needed it. Yeah. And it, in a way it saved me. I mean, growing up, I wanted to, I knew that I wanted to be involved with wrestling somehow and also be a singer. And, uh, I remember in 10th grade, uh, I had an English teacher that was doing a, uh, assignment in class and basically wanted asked us all like what is it that you want to do 
what kind of career do you want to do? And then I'll be able to tell you how this class is going to help prepare you. And, uh, and everybody went around and said their thing. And she came to me and I said, I really want to be involved with professional wrestling or, and also be a, be a singer. And she was basically like berated me for not taking the question seriously, told the whole class that I was failing. And, oh, uh, that's awful. And, and, and said that I basically had no future. And, um, and so I, I, you know, I stood up and I said, you know, like, like that's awful. Why would you even say that? And, uh, and I was like, well, you know what? Only thing I can do is, I don't, I don't think I would said it this eloquently and, and uh, straight faced with no <laughs> tears, but uh, I was clearly crying, grabbed my backpack and like, you're all going to see, you're going to see, I'll show you. And then I like kicked the door open. And I was like, and you know what you can do with your class you can you and all you laughing you guys can suck it and i gave him the (laughs) dx crotch chop and i kicked the door open and i never went back and uh fast forward all these years later that was 10th grade i'm 35 now last year my cousin um is a bartender and she started working at uh at a bar locally here and um she was like yeah there's this like crazy drunk lady i had to help her do her car she slept in her car she's like divorced and jobless and she just comes here and gets drunk and pickled all the time and uh she said that she was your english teacher something about like you like telling the class to suck it and i was like yes oh yeah she's alone <laughs> she's a drunk she's alone she lost her job and her family she like i would never wish that upon somebody right but, uh, but to know that that's the one that it happened to is like oh what no, talk about a full circle moment I, yeah. I, if i've never heard one myself until now <laughs> yeah it's definitely you know as long as you keep on the straight and narrow and uh and keep working towards your goals and dreams and not uh not believing you know the uh the limitations of others because no one's gonna believe in you like you're gonna believe in you you know and right. you gotta do it despite all that and uh not to spite them but despite the what they uh you know what their thoughts are on the matter because the only person that matters of what you think is you yeah no and i mean that was it's similar to my story well there's things that remind me of my story because i mean my whole life it, it started i wanted to be a wrestler and then you know i said well i'm i'm a little out of shape and whatever else and i was just thinking of all these different caveats and and then i realized I know an insane amount of wrestling, like a stupid amount of knowledge that most people don't. So I thought of more of along the lines of commentary. And so it was similar. I was in a, I was a career ed class, my freshman year of high school. And, and that's where I was bound and determined. I said, you know, I'm going to, I want to be a, a, like an announcer, a wrestling announcer. And, and it was the kind of that odd job. And, well, I guess that's your dream, but, I didn't do too hot in that class myself, and they were, you know, mm-hmm. more looking at like the local businesses and that anyway. And so, you know, I finished right. high school. I stuck with that class, and uh, the teacher of that class I'm actually friends with on Facebook. So she she didn't have quite a quite a downturn quite a of events, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but no, and so for me, it was I had that realization after high school that well, at least I should get a college degree and you know, have something to my name. And mm-hmm. so where everyone's talking about going to college and 
like because they want to be doctors or they want to be psychologists or whatever else and and then there's me and well, I want to be a wrestling announcer. It still was was my goal. So I was in broadcast broadcast journalism, got a bachelor's degree in broadcast journalism production, and it landed me in radio. And I'm not a full blown like play by play announcer, but I am a ring announcer, and it's still locally. I travel around the the Midwest quite a bit, and uh, so um, would I like to get bigger? Absolutely, but I at least did something to to get where I wanted to. So. And you're still getting there because yeah. you're still doing it. So it's it's not like, you know, with singing, like American Idol wasn't like, that's the, that's the end of it. That is, uh, that is all. <laughs> and, uh, and, and thank you for your time and thank you for my dream is like, the dream is to like keep doing it. And my mantra, my, you know, my, my thing has always been to be a working musician, support myself, support my family doing what I love and doing the only thing I've ever wanted to or known how to do, which is performing. And I've, I've learned over the years that that's using my voice, that's using my production mind, my ideas. And that's, you know, turned into a, turned into a, a decade plus, you know, career. I, yeah. use, it, I use it loosely because it's like, <laughs> it's, I'm, I still do what I want to do. But you sure. know, sometimes I have to do what other people want me to do, and <laughs> uh, and and enjoy it still, and find the find the best parts of it. And it's led me to cool, trippy things. Like I'm the voice of the Turbo Man action figure from Jingle All the Way. Oh, there you go. So stuff like that. Did have done voiceover work with Disney and Amazon, and and uh, Star Wars and Frozen, and you know, just cool, crazy things that I never would have uh, ever would have fathomed. But to keep the you know, I've, I've found that like, if you keep, if you keep pushing out positive, um, energy towards your goals and your intentions, but don't be like too overly narrow and specific about exactly what you want, you know, things can present themselves in many different ways. And so like an opportunity might not look the way that you thought it would, but you know, it's still an opportunity and you never know where that opportunity is going to lead yeah. to other opportunities. Or if you fail, you're going to at least learn from it and then, uh, you know, keep learning and failing and learning and failing and learning and gaining wisdom. And then when those opportunities come up again, you're like, yeah, I know that this is not the right opportunity for me. <laughs> I'm going to hold out for the next one. And then it, it comes and then it's glorious. Yeah. Well, and kind of circle things back is, I mean, so you said you, you had been bullied enough while you were growing up and then you're, you're doing be a star campaign. So I'm sure you got to tell your story and like all those different locations and the people you got to work with on that then too. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, a crazy story of how I was bullied a bunch by a certain group of kids in high school. And so much so one day somebody threw a, uh, a full water bottle or soda bottle, um, at my head. Oh, um, hit me smack in the back of the head and hurt like hell. And, um, you know, like through watching wrestling, I, I just like, I don't like, I just had this idea of, I can just change my character. I can change my gimmick. Um, you know, I don't have to be the guy that just takes it and whatever. So, you know, I can take what they give me and work it in a different way. 
So I turned around. I knew exactly where it had come from. So I went straight over to them and, uh, you know, just kind of stood up for myself. I didn't fight. I'm not a fighter. Okay. I, I, I found that, uh, you know, I'm at least going to stick up for myself. Like, don't, don't do that. So, um, I ended up switching schools after the, uh, after the suck it incident. And then, uh, (laughs) and, and, uh, the next school that I went to, one of my main bullies also ended up switching to that school. Oh, and you know, he started to, uh, kind of do like the same stuff. And at that point I had gone through it on my own and been like, you know what? I'm not just little pushover James. I'm crazy James. And I don't care. <laughs> I don't care what you have to say to me because it's not me and you're not me and you don't have any control over me. So when somebody would say something, I would just be like, wow, wow, that's really, really creative. Wow. I'll just stay up all night thinking of that one. Uh, you know, and just like whatever, just take the piss out of things that they were saying. And um, and so we ended up like, you know, he came and apologized to me for like, you know, other people's um, behavior and his own behavior. And we became kind of cordial. And, oh, OK. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so everything was good. But it was because I was like, you know what? No, I'm not doing that anymore. That's that's not how this works anymore. Different school, different guy. You know, I remember somebody was like selling weed in class, like behind, like the teacher had her back turned and yeah. then someone's like one kid selling weed to another kid. <laughs> I totally out. I was like, Miss Arlene, they're selling ganja and they didn't bring enough to share for oh. the rest of us, you know? And they was just like, dude, what? <laughs> like that guy doesn't care. Whoa, <laughs> that's crazy, James. And then word got around, you know, I'd meet somebody and be like, wait. Are you crazy, James? And be like, Psh, my reputation precedes me. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, it's not even a gimmick at that point. Like, crazy James is just who you were. <laughs> yeah. It was just, you know, um, a new uh, sense of self and, uh, you know, sticking up for oneself without having to fight, without having to, you know, fight, fight a hole with a hole. That's, that's incredible. So, do you, uh, I mean, do you still have any sort of dreams when it comes to wrestling for the future? Like any sort of involvement that you want to do, like any goals that you have? I mean, you're making, doing quite a bit with your music and congratulations to all the accomplishments you've had to this point goes to show, even if you don't win American Idol, you still can have a future in music. So, right. So I think with wrestling, I would love to, I would still love to have uh, my voice on someone's entrance music. Okay. Whether that's a song that I wrote or just, providing vocals for it um when when i was with my first record label wind up records right after idol um they had some young upstart songwriters uh on their roster um who ended up renaming themselves as uh cfos with a dollar sign and those guys would go on to write uh and produce and record a lot of the entrance music that uh that we have today in wwe um so that was cool working with them but there wasn't necessarily a a a way at that point just because of label restrictions of uh, performing on any of that stuff unfortunately but and i don't know if they're still doing it um but then uh i did have an opportunity but i turned it down was to sing 
um, for Eva Marie's entrance music, which I, I feel like I, I feel like I dodged a bullet with that one. Oh, because <laughs> yeah, no one wanted that, so I'm glad I didn't have my name attached to it. And uh, yeah, so I'm I'm not sure. I was just actually on the Jericho cruise in the Haven. Was talking to Scott Demore about like who does the the music for TNA. And um, oh no! And then and then Scott got you know let go by TNA. So hopefully he might come back, and then I'll you know wait a little bit, and then I'll hit him up and be like, hey, remember what we were talking about in the Haven? <laughs> and he'll be like, no, I don't. <laughs> I was like, it was you, it was me, it was Rocky Romero. We were talking about music. Um, so who knows? We'll see. Um, other than that, it's just I just enjoy it. I love being a fan. I love being there uh, at the shows. Um, as often as I can, uh, without paying. So <laughs> as yeah. long as I can keep getting, uh, comp tickets for, uh, you know, hard cam ringside seats, um, then that's cool. Uh, you know, we're on the road to WrestleMania, so they're going to be here this coming Monday, but they're all out of comps because those tickets sell like hotcakes when, they were, <laughs> when we're on the road. And so, uh, but anytime AEW comes to the area, I've always got, uh, always got the, uh, Chris Jericho, um, pull for tickets there. Yeah. So I went to probably four AEW shows last year. Um, and some of them driving, you know, three plus hours to go, um, just for, you know, the promise of wrestling. And I think in the same week last year, I went to raw and then, uh, dynamite. And after three hours of raw, it was, you know, it's cool. It's a good show. Yeah. Um, met Cody. That was cool. And then two days later, go to dynamite first five minutes. It's like a better, like I've already almost lost my voice and I'm on my feet banging on the guardrail. Just like, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> like, yeah. Just different. You know, it's, I, I like, I like the, uh, the sportsmanship. I like the, the, um, I don't know the, just the wrestling. I like wrestling more than I like talking. So, oh, there you shut, go. Shut up and wrestle <laughs> and uh, entertain me for my ticket I didn't purchase. <laughs> I mean, you still had to spend that time on the road if you're traveling three plus hours. I mean, gas isn't cheap. I'm sure in California it's even more expensive than it is here. So, yeah, it's like almost five bucks, um, if not more sometimes. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, I've, it, there's been some really cool stuff to get to see with AEW last year. The first AEW show I drove to was uh, in Fresno, California, which is like three hours from me. And that was Brian Danielson versus Bandito. Okay. And that was just crazy. I think that was Bandito's second match in AEW. And that also ended up being the uh, Jay Briscoe Memorial Tribute Show. Um, because he had passed away the day before. So yeah. it, it was two hours of dynamite, one hour of rampage, and then like an hour and a half of a ROH tribute. Um, so it was a lot of wrestling that day. And which is where I actually, that's where I met Les Carlson. And then we go back and talk with Jericho. Um, went to Revolution last year in San Francisco. That was MJF versus Brian Danielson in the uh, one hour oh, Iron Man match. So you were there for that. Okay. Yeah. I was right front row for that. Like it was like hangman getting pushed by Moxley off the top turnbuckle through the barbed wire table on the floor, right in front of us. Um, 
you know, MJF doing the, the flying elbow onto Brian, uh, through the, um, the bell table, yeah. um, was right next to us. It's just crazy. Like there's one point, like you experience wrestling, you love wrestling, but then like seeing something at that level of sportsmanship of like fortitude of pain of just like, it's just wild. And then uh, I think after that was, yeah, dynamite um, in somewhere else. That was the week that with the double shows oh. and, uh, and, and Les Carlson came to that one as well. And that's when Chris was like, Hey, would you want to play with Les? Would you, uh, you know, figure something out for the cruise? So that was, that was cool. So you were already booked for the cruise at that point. And then, yeah, yeah. I was already booked with the lost boys. Um, and then, yeah, then Chris is like, hey, would you, I've got less booked. We're not sure what we're doing uh, for that. And uh, yeah, so we put together a little thing. And and uh, originally it was just going to be all acoustic and uh, just kind of stripped down versions of everything. And then Les and Joyce are like, we've got tracks. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. We're going to stand there and play to a track. But it was fun. It was a <laughs> lot of fun. We had a ton of fun with it. And uh, yeah, Les got me a gig in uh, in Ohio. I'll be playing the Immortal Fest in uh, Versailles, Ohio, on September 1st, I believe. There you go. Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's, let's talk about the cruise then. Um, I, I have a moment during the first James Durbin and the Lost Boys concert where, you know, so Chris introduces you guys and, um, you know, um, puts you over, so to speak, to the crowd and... I think he said you had like the best natural voice or something that, that he said that was like right around the time I was coming in and he, he got to rock out to your concert for a while. And I, I turned to him and I said, you've had five cruises now and I've been waiting every cruise <laughs> for you to have these guys signed. And, and I don't even know if he heard a word I was saying, he was just more concerned about rocking out to your music. So he's dancing and everything else. And I'm like, I don't know the words to this song as well, but I'm a, <laughs> fake it till I make it. And so I still had a moment there and nice, but it was, uh, and I remember I reached out to you on social media years ago. And I said, if you were ever asked to, to do the Jericho cruise, would you do it? And your answer was like, Oh hell yeah. Or something. And so it was again, a bit of a full circle for me that you finally get announced to be on the cruise. And so what, what was, uh, I mean, take us, where you were asked and just the experience, what, what all was all that like for you? Oh, it was great. Um, Chris asked me if I'd be able to, uh, to pull it this year and it didn't fall on my wife's birthday. So that was, a uh, that was cool. And yeah, we were able to work it out to do it with the lost boys and full band and all that. And then, uh, like I said, he linked me up with, uh, with Les Carlson. So I performed with Les also. Um, I was, very very booked on the cruise <laughs> saturday was saturday was bonkers um what did i start the day off with uh, i think i had a show with less and then i went straight to a podcast recording with chris and um and and a couple of the other performers and to talk about being in cover and tribute bands 
And then right after that, or at the same time as that, uh, Chris brought me the saxophone that I would be playing later that night with Fozzie. Yeah. Um, uh, dressed as Macho Man Randy Savage. Got a macho sax chant, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, and then right after that, went and played with the Lost Boys that night. And then right after that, went and partied at the Haven. So uh, just a whole a whole lot of uh, of, of madness and and. It was just wild. And then after, I think the day after I had a show with the Lost Boys and then the day after the final day, uh, we had a show with Les. So it was just cool. It was cool to like not only get to experience that with my band, um, getting to experience that with one of my best friends, who Dylan, who I was uh, experienced uh, Raw 1000 with front row and, and just have been watching wrestling with since we were teenagers. And uh, it was just crazy. It was so crazy. Um, we had another friend there named George. Uh, it was just basically me, Dylan, and George for the most part. Um, you know, <laughs> piece to my other band members. And uh, we're just, you know, we're the guys that like, of my other band, they didn't really follow wrestling. So they're like oh, taking okay. it in as spectators. And then me, Dylan, and George are like the, you know, super, super fans. And um, and uh, I lost my voice because I kept... Uh, I kept talking like Paul Stanley and then like Macho Man after the whole Macho Man stacks thing. Right. I was just like, uh, you know what we should do? Yeah, we should go down to the uh, artist lounge. Yeah, maybe put in a special request for some uh, full-bodied Budweiser's. Yeah, we can put in a special request to President Jack Tunney. Yeah. And so like everything was Jack Tunney. I just, <laughs> I was just like, you know, oh, should we go up and grab an ice cream cone? It's like, well, what does President Jack Dunney have to say about it? And it was like it was popping us. And then every time we walked by, you know, some old wrestler and they were just like, that dude just say Jack Tunney. Like, <laughs> it was just funny. Like, I remember Bully Ray was like, are you talking about Jack Tunney? Are you really? <laughs> Dave LeGreg, are you really referencing President Jack Tunney? Um, it was just, yeah, really funny. Uh, I'm funny like Tony. Yeah. Funky like a monkey. Sky's the limit. Space is the place. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. After doing that for two days straight, you definitely lose your voice. But, well, I mean, so, uh, yeah, I mean, so you have like Bushwhacker <laughs> Luke and the Mountie, two of the wrestlers who were around back then in the Jack Tony days. Did you have any moments around there with them where you got to reference Jack Tony? <laughs> no, no, none. Um, oh, they no. they all kind of like kept to themselves for the most part, and uh, who else was there? Uh, Buff Bagwell, like we never yeah. saw him. Uh -oh. Um, I think like I saw a picture of him afterwards, and I was like, oh, because he doesn't look like Buff Bagwell anymore. <laughs> That's why we didn't <laughs> yeah. see him because he doesn't look like him. Um, you know, uh, he looks like Marcus, and uh, so yeah, but it was just crazy. I mean, we hung out in the artist lounge a lot, and then once we all. God. I mean, George didn't have like an artist pass. He was just kind of following us everywhere. Oh, okay. And then he followed us up to the, we got him up to the Haven. We're hanging out up there. And then, you know, after that, they just knew his face. They were like, hey, welcome back, sir. It's <laughs> just like, yeah, hell yeah. I think on Saturday night, or maybe it was Sunday night at the Haven, uh, ended up being George's birthday. Oh, okay. And like, it was like midnight and he was like, oh, it's my birthday right now. And we were all around the bar, uh, uh, with uh, all around the Grey Goose bar. And um, I can't remember if that's the night that I saved Red Cup Jeff's life or if it was the night before. Um, 
but yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. It was just crazy being up there and, and just, you know, uh, Santino was doing his power walk, oh. <laughs> uh, his, his champion power walk win, uh, championship winning power walk. And it was just so much fun. It was just so funny. Just having conversations, um, with, uh, with different guys. And, and like I said, Scott Demore and Rocky Romero and orange Cassidy, Jim, uh, as I became to know him by, um, huh. CJ Perry, uh, yeah, Santino, um, fun time, Tony. Yeah. Fun time, Tony. Uh, <laughs> t- uh, Anthony was, he was having extra fun upstairs. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just crazy. It was just absolute, like it was a debacle. <laughs> it was total debauchery up there. And then at a certain <laughs> point it like, everyone's going so far in like the direction that I wasn't going in. Like I was like going more sober and everybody else is going like extra, extra <laughs> vodka induced, um, stupor. And, and I'm just like a spectator and I'm just like, Holy crap. These people can put away vodka, like by the bottle. I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, am I going to have to save more than one life tonight? red cup jeff was choking and and no one else saw and he's like turning purple and i'm like patting him on the back and like he finally like spit something out and then he's like <gasps> vodka you know it's just like whoa <laughs> whoa i was like i'm not built for this this is messing with my mind i need to go and see president jack tunney yeah <laughs> i need to go and find him father jack tunney i need to repent yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I <laughs> your Macho Man impersonation is spot on. By the way, it's uh, uh-huh, yeah, you know you get it. Like it also helps to tense up the neck muscles. Yeah, protect the upper lip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you uh, talk like this. Yeah, you live the gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so great. Uh, okay. Who right now? I guess we could do all time and and currently. Uh, what is your favorite wrestling theme song of all time and current theme song? Mm. Uh, let's talk music a little more. All right, if we're going all time, it might have to be. Uh, it might have to be Edge. It might have to be meddling us. Um, if we're going all time, all time. I mean, you know it's him as soon as that music hits. You think you know me? on this day and uh so much fun to sing along um oh boy but as far as like an original song for a wrestler i'd say it's hogan i'd say it's real american rick derringer um as soon as you hear that (laughs) when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside um yeah i don't know like everybody's iconic you know, it's like so much of it starts with something that isn't necessarily music, like Undertaker. You hear the bell toll. Yeah. You're like, oh, like, that's awesome. Um, like, I like to think of like, like CM Punk's obviously is is iconic and great, but that was already a song long before it was ever associated with him. So yeah. I think similarly with, with meddling us, like that Alter Bridge had already released the One Day Remains album and... You know, it wasn't written specifically for Edge that I that I 
that I know of. And um, so like thinking of something that was written specifically for the wrestler, um, I think, I think Hogan, I think Hogan takes the cake. Okay. Yeah. No. So I'm in the minority. So I've, I've loved, I think every Hogan song there's ever been, including the NWO theme, just um, like every Hogan music there's been period. I've been a fan of, Mm -hmm. but I was a bigger fan of his WCW song, Mm. American made. And so like, I don't know to me, that's my all time favorite Hogan song, but I might be in the minority in that. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> I also like the uh, uh, Voodoo Child. Yeah, that was great. Oh, like absolutely. Playing. Yeah, like, definitely so- fit the fit the vibe, fit the fit the brother. <laughs> Are you a fan of uh, Cody Rhodes' song? Oh yeah, of course. Whoa! <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, that was- I, uh, yeah, definitely a fun one. I think I think Cody's is my all time or my my favorite currently. Um, and then you heard a little bit of the Johnny Cadillac theme at the beginning of this uh, podcast. So I'm a little biased toward my own theme song. But if <laughs> I'm talking bigger scene, um, it was one of the things when Cody left AEW and went to WWE. I was just happy that they, he got to keep, keep uh, Kingdom as his theme. So in the yeah, way it was. You got to keep so much. You got to keep the neck tattoo. You got to keep <laughs> the logo. You got to keep it all. They didn't make him take a, you know, take a, um, what do they call that? thin little little blade to that thing um <laughs> yeah i remember remember when he first showed up with that it was like oh no who tried drugs last night and made a bad decision <laughs> this guy like i was like oh no what that was just such a shock now it's like yeah that's that's it's there yep it's your logo it's bold it's yeah. a very bold like i have a neck tattoo but it's very like small and I had a lot of other tattoos before I got it. Not just, not just a little, a little dream across right, the Right? Yeah. No, I feel and like then, boom logo. You know? <laughs> I feel like if you have sleeves, or if you're <laughs> on your way to sleeves, then you like move them up to the neck. It's still pretty normal. But when you just have the one tattoo on your chest, and all of a sudden you're like, "I'm gonna have another tattoo. Let's put it right on my neck." Yeah. That's when you're gonna stand <laughs> out more. <laughs> Like I was thinking like you'd get that on your bicep or like maybe you'd get like a chest piece or a back piece yeah. or something. But like, whoo, right there. It was <laughs> like, whoa, is that a rib? Are we like, are we being punked here? Is this like, <laughs> is this for real? Is that a, is, are, is you going to be like, yeah, I got this temporary tattoo. They're available at the merch booth. Like, <laughs> nope. That's a neck tattoo. Put it on um, your neck. It'll go away after a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it won't. You gotta scrub that thing. I put one on my chest, and it's still there. Can't even get it all the way off. Like a month ago. Oh <laughs> man. Um, okay, so so your early days, you turn on on. Well, you you mentioned Van Dam and Jeff Hardy was a, their ladder match. I believe you said it was. I mean, mm-hmm. were one of those kind of your your favorite, like in your early watching days, or who who were some of the the stars that you you liked the most? My favorite was was Rob Van Dam, Undertaker, um, Chris Jericho. Those were my those were my, were my three main ones. Eddie Guerrero. Um, I was at No Way Out 2004, the Cow Palace in San Francisco, uh... and Eddie beat Brock for the WWE Championship. And um, yeah, those were those were my guys. RVD especially, and then uh, getting older, 
and uh, experimenting new things, RVD especially. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, that dude, that dude's living, uh, living the life. Um, you know, that's that guy's crazy. So my whole thing is, I grew up on WCW, and so and my my yeah, I, I grew up in a Christian family too, and mm. so eventually, where where it was for me was. When Nitro started, my, my parents thought there was some, some such a thing as too much wrestling. <laughs> to this day, yeah. I don't understand what they were thinking. But uh, And so when Nitro started, they said, okay, there, there's a little too much on right now. Like, So they told me to pick one company or the other. And so five-year-old Johnny Cadillac says, Let, let's go with Nitro I th- or WCW. I think I'm enjoying that more. And yeah. then when, when things progressed, like the Attitude Era and everything else, my parents were real glad of the decision I made as – as a young kid, and uh, and so WCW goes out of business, and they are still against WWF, and but I was like, I, I need wrestling in my life still. I, I can't, I can't just don't lose understand. It now. Yeah. And so I, I won that battle, and it was just progressing. Like you know, eventually you know I had bedtimes or whatever else, and so like, oh, we wouldn't record what I'd miss of Raw, and then eventually I'd talk them into that, and then getting a pay per view. So when it was the Alliance versus WWF, I mean, I grew up on WCW and I knew you it wasn't cool to like the Alliance, but that's mm-hmm. what I was doing. Is uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I grew up on WCW, so I'm gonna be a WCW guy, knowing there's no way they're winning this battle. Right. And, and Van Dam was on the Alliance, and so that's right. Yeah, I mean, and so I didn't watch any. <laughs> if WWF wasn't bad enough, they certainly weren't gonna let me watch ECW. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And, uh, and so it was, I wasn't really familiar with Van Damme prior to then, but it was something about him that always stuck out. So for years and years, and probably even to this day, I'd say Van Damme's my all time favorite wrestler. So I guess there's another connecting point we have there. Right. And yeah, I mean, he just, he had great entrance music. He had, his gear was amazing. Um, I loved his story. Um, you know, I knew that he was uh, got invited to the into the ring by Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, and for a hundred dollars, he would kiss his sweaty foot out of his wrestling boot, <laughs> and he did right there in the middle of the ring in the you know arena in Battle Creek, Michigan. Like I, I loved, loved, loved RVD and getting his DVD set and and getting to watch and dig into his matches with Jerry Lynn um, was crazy. Uh, what an experience getting to. Uh, witness those for the first time um and just see like the height of performance and what you know what he would put himself through uh just over those years the van damme lift like the splits across the benches holding the big weight between him and his legs bowing like that and his crotch touching the floor and his legs out here up here and it's just like whoa it's gnarly and uh i love the dragons and the yin yangs and the uh um you're, you know, just the uh, um, the uh, little nuances of uh, of uh, stoner culture strewn throughout his uh, <laughs> his gear and everything and, and his whole presentation. Um, he was like the Tuesday night delight, Thursday night delight, RVD, the whole effing show. And uh, and all that was just uh, it was just such a time to be a wrestling fan. And yeah, so RVD, Chris Jericho. um you know, that whole story and everything as well. A lot of guys that came from WCW um, 
And then once I found Undertaker, so like my dad had passed away when I was nine. Okay. And then finding wrestling a few years later and seeing someone that looked so much like my dad, which was Undertaker. Really? Um, okay. So much so, just the long hair, the biker, the tattoos. Uh, there were some pictures that just looked like the spitting image of my dad that I had found and was like, oh my God is my dad the undertaker? Did he actually die? Is he really like a zombie? Is he like, like, is this really my dad? Is this like, I knew it wasn't obviously, right. but like just, you know, living with wide eyed wonder and loving wrestling and having like a beacon of somebody that does kind of, you know, closely resemble his physical attributes was, uh, was really something. So the first time I saw undertaker come out um, at a live event, um, it was a raw and SmackDown super show. I went to on my 16th birthday. Uh, my mom got me and my best friend at the time, Chris, um, seats and there was like a surprise cage match and it was just crazy. It was so cool. Nice. And we were all hyped up on energy drinks that we'd never <laughs> had before. Um, I think it was YJ Stinger. <laughs> we tracked down some YJ Stinger from Stacker oh, two. Man. Remember those commercials with yeah. Cena rapping and, and uh, Jericho, don't you wish you could be the king of energy? <laughs> and uh, just awful. And uh, stuff tasted like crap. And um, and just going through all of that and seeing Taker come out. And like it was like when I met Hogan on Idol, it was like I was shaking. I was crying. I was like not in control of myself. And then fast forward, you know, from age 16 to age 23, and being backstage at the WWE Hall of Fame and shaking Undertaker's hand and just saying, like, you know, I know people tell you all sorts of things. I'm just going to say thank you. Just, yeah. I, ca I can't even ex begin to explain what you've done for me in my life. So thank you. And it was just like, oh, like <sighs> crazy. Like it was just, yeah, just some of these like, I don't think I don't sit around thinking about these things, but when it uh, when it comes time to think about them and talk about them and share them, it's like, uh, whoa, gratitude. <laughs> Breathe out and then inhale. I'm just like, gratitude. Woo! <laughs> Wild ride. So, well, just want to kind of close this up. Um, let's promote you a little bit. You just had a CD come out. Um, how can people support you? Where can they find you right now? Uh, just if you want to do some shameless self-promotion and wrap up this in interview today. Absolutely. For uh, the camera viewing audience, this is Durbin Screaming Steel is my latest album. It's got a cat on it um, with wings. <laughs> That's my cat. His name is Bear. That is him in fantasy form. Uh, it is traditional heavy metal, kind of like Judas Priest, Dio, Iron Maiden, that sort of vibe. Um, it is my sixth studio live, uh, not live, su sixth studio solo album um, uh, in 13 years. And uh, there's been a bunch of other albums in addition with different bands, but um, I've got a lot of music out there to consume if you're uh, into consuming music. And you can find me uh, all verified pages, uh, Instagram at James Durbin Official, Facebook.com slash Durbin Rock, and uh I think those are my two verified ones since Twitter became X. Uh, it's <laughs> Durban. It's Durban Rock on Twitter. It's uh, James Durban official on TikTok, though there's not much on there. And then, yeah, 
Well, and then that's that's about it. <laughs> when it coincides with not being on your wife's birthday, hopefully we see you on another Jericho cruise. Definitely, definitely. Uh, the less babysitting for me this year or next <laughs> next time that I'm on it than there was this year, because uh, yeah, uh, I'm uh, not there to babysit, but yeah. uh, to rock. And I definitely like. It was funny being on a Jericho cruise. I watched like I was like so unmotivated to watch wrestling being on a wrestling cruise it was the most unmotivated oh. to watch wrestling i've ever been and i was, instead i was like more motivated to just like you know hang out and uh and just be you know just be a singer and just be a, a fan and uh got to have like cool experiences talking with with different people and and uh you know bully ray is telling me what paul stanley quotes to say as paul stanley and hanging out in the Haven and, and just, uh, getting to know people on a, on a human level. That was like the coolest part of the whole experience. And so that would be my reason for going back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm just glad I stuck around after one of your boss boys concerts. I was able to talk to you and bring you on the podcast today and just start the ball rolling with that. And I, I really appreciate you taking your time today to come on to caddy chat wrestling talk podcast here. Absolutely. I think the great part about being on the cruise was like not really having Wi-Fi and not sitting around being on my phone. And that was, you know, the reason I was there was to talk with people and meet people and uh, communicate and network and just, you know, just just be a human's being. Yeah. And, uh, and that, that was wonderful. So it's great to know you and, and to meet you and to, uh, and to do your podcast full circle. I appreciate it very much. Well, this is another episode of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast with special guest James Durbin. I'm Johnny Cadillac. And until next time, we'll see you then. Have a good day, everyone.